the heart of Nebuchadnezzar is precious to God mm. in some way. And there's yeah. each one of these stories shows that God is not just like, hey, we'll try once and hope for the best. Right. He's saying we're going to keep coming after Nebuchadnezzar's mm. heart. And ultimately, we see that God has saved the most drastic, mm. the most um, important intervention for the very last. Mm. He saves the the thing that is really going to win not just Nebuchadnezzar on the periphery, but Nebuchadnezzar at the core, mm. win his heart. I'm Dean Cullinane, and you're listening to Why They Did That, a show that explores the motivations of biblical characters and how their choices can guide yours. Today's guest is one whom I hold in the highest of regards. Over the years, I have grown awfully close to him. And if you're wondering how close, I, I watched his birth at his house with his parents one fateful evening captured on one of those old handheld recorders. It was incredibly entertaining, as he himself often is. And the Lord has him doing some fantastic work down in San Gabriel Academy in Southern California doing what all good Christians were always meant to do, point their students to a loving and living God. R.D. Gallant, a former dean, a budding photographer, and currently just a super nice dude, joins us today as we discuss one of the muddiest characters we've ever gone near on this show. History is unfortunately plagued by men whose entire legacy is written in blood. The blood of the poor, the innocent, and the unfortunate. It seems as if each generation brings with it a tyrant, a dictator, or some other great authoritarian oppressor. It seems inevitable that some incredibly driven man will find himself sitting with untold power, that which he will abuse for gain, forcing countless people to suffer at his hand. Nebuchadnezzar likely trumps every person that may have sprung to mind. His notoriety lives on today, as does the legacy of an all but destroyed and oppressed Jewish nation. His fingerprints are everywhere in the ancient world, his name bringing shudders to the proverbial graves of which he was the chief undertaker. It's easy to wish judgment on such people. To pray that the Lord would blot them out and remember them no longer, as King David or Nehemiah would have put it. Not all is as cut and dry as it seems. The commission given to us was not to close up and seal the book of people's lives, lining them up for everlasting condemnation. Rather, it is to witness, to bear long, and ultimately to love them. What if the book of Daniel isn't just a prophetic book? What if it isn't just a book about four young friends taken captive in a foreign land? What if the book of Daniel is a blueprint, a step-by-step guide to show us exactly how much God desires to save 
even the very worst of us. Nebuchadnezzar, when he comes to Jerusalem, is become, has become this incredibly efficient conqueror. And we see that in the verses when it talks about what he takes. So he takes a number of things. He takes vessels from the temple. He takes young people, but not just any young people. He doesn't just pick young people off the streets. He sure. takes the children of the royal homes, uh-huh. the children of the highest class of society. Mm-hmm. He takes them and then he takes also their identity in taking their names. He transforms their names from names that worship and honor the God of their nation Uh to changing them to names of gods who honor his nation. What I find so fascinating about this man is that he's he's not merely a a general. You know, he's not just someone that's gone out and said, you know what, I'm trying to expand my kingdom and yeah, Israel, you're in the way. So I'm just going to defeat you and then you guys can all run along. He's so intent about being the man you know like he essentially sees himself as god that not only does he destroy nations but he kind of absorbs from them all the good that they have he's not just defeating a people he's he's wiping out their culture and then forcing them to assimilate into his he's demoralizing them Mm. he's really taking away their future their hope their religion their identity their identity as a people. Mm. That's right. And he's been trained to do this. It's not an accident that he does this. It's not that he was just a good king. His father takes him on conquest um, to conquer the Assyrian empire Mm -hmm. that was the strongest before the Babylonian empire arises. So he is taught exactly how to conquer people, Mm. exactly how to demoralize the people, to take away their hope. Mm. And then also to, like you said, incorporate them into his empire. Right. And each of the things that he takes is an aspect of what he's hoping to incorporate, an aspect of what he's hoping to gradually change in their lives. You've got to imagine that this man is probably in the then known world, the most hated figure. I mean, outside of Babylon, where he's like, like we said, he's venerated. He's, he's looked at as, as literally God himself. Outside of that, you know, the Assyrians are going to see him as, or what's left of them are going to see him as public enemy number one. Mm. The Jews, the the Hebrews are going to hate this man. Yeah, he's he came and 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 destroyed them without necessarily annihilating them, and then later comes back and just almost wipes them off the face of the planet. Mm. He is, you could you could say if if we look through the the Old Testament as a complete narrative, there's a good argument to be made that Nebuchadnezzar is the main antagonist because of what he does to this nation. Yeah, I would I would go f- as far to say as he's public enemy number one mm. for the Jewish nation. Right. He is the most hated individual. He comes three times total mm-hmm. to Jerusalem yeah. and he destroys the temple and the city of Jerusalem in his final uh, coming. And so each one of those experiences, I'm sure just builds this hatred that yeah. the Jewish nation would have for him. It builds this um, just object like, anger that mm. they would have in their hearts because this is the man who has taken everything from us. He's taken our hope. And not only that, but he has destroyed our temple, mm. the source of our salvation in their minds. He's destroyed our city, the holy city of God. Yeah. 
He's done all of these things. He would be just the absolute worst person in society. And then he's at the just time. then he's just going back to his palace, exactly, hanging out in the hanging gardens, you yeah. know, just living his best life. Yeah. Um, but what what this reminds me of also is I, I think today, I mean, certainly in in my you know relatively short lifetime, um, the times we live in are such hateful times. Mm. I don't I don't remember there ever being a time where it was more. Um, where it was easier or even more acceptable to just hate people and specifically people in positions of leadership. Mm. It's so easy now, especially within uh, within this country, but I'm sure many more, um, to have um, a very uh, polarized nation mm. and to have leaders from whatever side you want just be looked at by the other side as not just merely a an opposition party, yeah. but an actual opposition, someone that needs to be defeated and brought down and destroyed. And it's not enough for maybe someone to be put out of office. They need to then be, you know, th- their character needs to be defamed. Cancel culture, if yeah. you will. It's no longer like disagreement. It's right. like destruction almost. Yeah. Yeah, That's yeah, what yeah. it's like. Yeah. And I, I just, I, I find that scary. Yeah. You know, that, um, I, I mean, Nebuchadnezzar, for 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 the for the liberals, Trump is Nebuchadnezzar, mm. but and for the conservatives, Biden is. Yeah, you know, we we, yeah. we we take these these figures, these leaders, and we if we're on one side, love them and worship them, and you know they're the best things th- since sliced bread. Mm-hmm. But if you're on the other side, as the Jews are to Nebuchadnezzar, then what hatred what what mm-hmm. what malice we're talking about death threats we're talking yeah. about like actual attempts on their life and i can only imagine that the hebrews at this time you know prayers are being hindered because of how they think towards this man mm. prayers might be even being offered against him mm, it's true saying lord please destroy this evil right. king who's come to destroy mm-hmm. our nation mm-hmm. right and and i think that Nebuchadnezzar in his experience is actually trying to change public opinion, right? Mm. He's trying to become well-loved by everyone, right? right? And so in this desire to be loved, he's trying to change the people that he takes. The reason why he takes these young people is to educate them, to change them into people who love him and and follow him. If you kill everyone that hates you, then you're just left with those that love you. Yeah, exactly. So this gradual change that Nebuchadnezzar is attempting to make in the mm-hmm, lives mm-hmm. of these young Israelites is actually going to be in similar manner, the way that God is going to transform him. Gradually. Gradually, over time, slowly. And we're going to see that in the first stories of the book of Daniel, that mm-hmm. Nebuchadnezzar is coming into conflict mm-hmm. with issues in his life mm-hmm. and having to make a choice, having right. to make a decision. And these conflicts are going to ultimately lead to a rethinking of who he is and how he relates to the world and the universe. Nebuchadnezzar was a master of his art, that art being conquering. Not only did he capture the very best of a destroyed people, but he broke them down. He attacked the very bedrocks of their identities. First, he attacks their lifestyle, particularly their traditions when it comes to food. This is no mere peace offering. This is a calculated effort to pull the principles of the Hebrews from right under their very feet. Very few things in the Middle East hold more weight than eating together, sharing food with one another. 
It's practically the foundation of relationships. You eat our food, you're one of us. And so Daniel is faced with an issue. Does he bow down under the pressure of the king's gaze? How do you say no to a man who has turned family homes to dunghills for less? Well, apparently you just do. You politely decline to have your identity erased, and you stand tall in the face of pagan attempts to chip away at your God's standards. Daniel's determination certainly could have landed his head on a platter, but instead, instead it breeds respect from the great king of Babylon. Speaking of the man himself, not all is well atop the king's castle. Encumbered with dreams of which he has no understanding nor recollection, the king begins to, well, let's just say, flex his muscles, if you know what I mean. It's interesting to think that at each one of the conflicts that he has, the first with lifestyle, like we talked about, there is a transition that takes place in between the chapters that leads into the next one. So his conflict with lifestyle leads to him understanding that the young men that he has brought from Israel are wise. Mm. They have wisdom. They have understanding. Genuine wisdom. Genuine wisdom. And he even says at the end, it says they're 10 times better than not just their class that they graduated from, Mm. but every one of his advisors that Mm. he has in his kingdom. Right. 10 times wiser. If there's someone who's 10 times wiser than me, that's awesome, dude. (laughs) That's amazing. Super. But... To say that they're 10 times better than anyone in the kingdom, Mm. that's really incredible. So it it leads into this um, search in Nebuchadnezzar's life for knowledge and wisdom. Mm -hmm. And he has this dream that troubles him, right? And he's worried. He doesn't know why this dream is troubling him. And at at that time, dreams were a message from the gods. And Nebuchadnezzar, as seeing himself as a semi-divine individual, Mm -hmm. would imagine that the gods were sending him a message. So the fact that he's not able to know, Mm. not able to remember the dream, is a problem. Mm. It it shows that maybe the gods are angry at him. The gods aren't pleased with him. They're keeping something from him. They're keeping something from him. Mm -hmm. So when he calls his his wise men in and says, hey, um, tell me the dream and tell me the interpretation, and they say, king, no man can do this. He's upset at them because they're saying, we have a connection to the gods mm-hmm. and the gods and the wise men, the gods and the advisors are holding back mm-hmm. the special message, the important message to this young king. It's only the second year of his reign. Right. So Nebuchadnezzar feels like, man, both the, both the wise men and the gods are holding back some nugget of truth right. from me. And anyone that's in a position of, of absolute power the moment that that is challenged, you know, the moment mm. that it even looks as though there's someone else above you, yeah. you know, they have something that that you don't, or you need something that they have. Um, you're always going to get this kind of reaction, exactly. Where he simp, you, you can tell this. This is not a patient man. Mm-hmm. He gets what he wants, and he gets it when he wants it. And if he doesn't get what he wants, he's going to kill Gone. everybody. That's it. In order to do it. Yeah. And so that's the reaction we see here in Daniel too. Is that mm-hmm. Nebuchadnezzar saying, "I will murder you and and your families. <laughs> your homes will be made flat. Like he is going to destroy everything that has anything to do with somebody mm-hmm. who does him wrong." And this is how he's in the position that he's in. Is that for him? There is there's no there's no compromise. There's no middle ground. There, he he rules with, at best, an iron fist. 
yeah. um, and at worst with with fire and brimstone. Mm. And he, he is in this position where everyone within this kingdom fears for their life at any sign that they may be making a mistake or not following his exact commands. Mm. And then you have Daniel. Yeah. And then you have his three friends. Who are going to tell him what is true no matter what. Right. And so, yeah, his experience with Daniel and his three friends are going to be that of they're they're honest mm. and they're they're principled young men. Yeah. And so we're seeing a man who is probably not very principled in the lengths that he would go to in order mm. to attain what he wants. Yeah. Coming into contact with those who are extremely principled mm. and won't stray from that. They purpose in their hearts right. not to do that. And I think this this dream that Nebuchadnezzar is having. I, I do believe that it's from the Lord, uh-huh. um, the actual God, yes. the one who Nebuchadnezzar isn't even really acquainted with as of yet. Um, and I just love how God it, within Babylon's halls is setting the stage for Nebuchadnezzar to have an experience. He's putting him in a position where knowing full well that this man is going to turn to his sorcerers and his astrologers and the Chaldeans, you know, he's going to look for help from the stars and help from the dead and help from logic and numbers and science. God knows that all of those things are going to kind of fade away. And Mm. this experience that he's had with these Hebrews before is going to bring them to a position now where they can start to witness to this man. That's exactly right. And and God is... God is preparing basically an announcement mm. of his presence wow. saying I am the God the mm. revealer of secrets yes. like Daniel says the the light in the darkness mm-hmm. he the Chaldeans and the wise men are lying to Nebuchadnezzar yeah, they absolutely. don't have a connection to anything mm-hmm. of substance Nebuchadnezzar doesn't have a connection to anything of substance so Daniel and his friends are introducing saying hey if you really want to know truth mm. if you really want to experience the truth of this universe that we live in, I know the God to go to. Mm. And when I go to him, he reveals secrets to me. Mm-hmm. And that is the only way in which I'm able to reveal them to you, right. Nebuchadnezzar. And so when Daniel walks into the throne room, he's walking in to actually open Nebuchadnezzar's eyes mm. to a reality that he can't even imagine. Wow. Nebuchadnezzar, awestruck falls prostrate in a position of worship at the feet of Daniel. No, he he doesn't quite get it yet. Daniel's efforts to exclaim that he can do nothing but by the command of his God has apparently fallen on deaf ears. Nebuchadnezzar isn't interested in a God. He's interested in whatever it takes to keep his royal derriere on his golden throne. And so he hears the word of God through the prophet. Somehow he misses the point about his kingdom coming to an end. But he takes the idea of a great big statue and just goes to town. You see, Nebuchadnezzar struggles to see beyond himself. You probably would too if you were considered a god. This really is all the directive of the enemy. To deceive you into delusions of grandeur, feelings of invincibility... What was it he said? I will be like the Most High. I will ascend above the clouds of heaven. I, 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 I. You catch where I'm going with this? We don't surrender to God's will for our lives. We invariably align with Satan's.
In the same way that's, that Nebuchadnezzar is an established, trained, um, well-crafted uh, conqueror, mm. Satan is as well. Right. And he knows exactly the point of Nebuchadnezzar's heart mm-hmm. that he can touch mm. in order to elicit the response he right, wants. Yeah. So the, the point in Daniel 3 that Nebuchadnezzar is, has a problem with is the heart mm-hmm. and the pride of his heart. And so each time that Satan wants to get Nebuchadnezzar back under his control, mm. he touches that heart of pride. Mm. And he touches that area of Nebuchadnezzar's heart that speaks to him. Yeah. Oh, Nebuchadnezzar, you are great. Mm. You are mighty. You are powerful. You are, you are all these incredible things. Right. And he, he pulls him back from God's, God's emphasis and God's um, experience in his life. And we see that even in, in Nebuchadnezzar's own proclamations, you know, he's, when he's out there and he's saying, look at this great Babylon of which I have built, mm. you know? And, and so clearly uh, this man, although he is um, kind of partaking of this divine revelation that is coming through these, these young Hebrews, he's still very much a, a conflicted individual and he still very much wants to be the man, mm. you know, to the point where he's erected an image, you know, in in the in the plains of of China, he's set up this this thing. It's basically an image of himself that he calls people to worship at, and once again takes no prisoners. If you don't fall down, if you do not bow at the knee or fall prostrate on the floor when this when this great orchestra orchestral set is is played, you're going to be burned alive. Mm. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and 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 when the three friends of Daniel don't, mm. when they don't bow down, when they don't worship, he he throws them into not just any fiery hole. He says, "Let's heat it up let's seven m- times, hotter. seven times hot. Let's make sure these guys die, mm-hmm. right?" And he throws them in there. But then he comes into contact with the one whom all the individuals he is called should worship, mm. who he should bow down right. to. And he makes a recognition that that is the son of, of God, mm. right? There's a son of God in that fire mm. that I can see. And so Nebuchadnezzar is coming to this, um, he's coming to this realization and that God is going to do anything it takes in his heart and in his life to transform who he is. And I just, I, whenever looking at, whenever I've looked at this uh, story, you know, especially the first four chapters, which are, which are very story focused, um, you kind of see this this idea play out that look God's plan for Israel, situating them in the middle of the then known world, was that other nations would come through and would be blessed by Israel and would therefore turn to the God of Israel because they would just see oh sure look at the way these people live look at look at the way they look at their lifestyle look at their Sabbath look at their law look at all of these things oh yes you know worship the God of Israel never actually happens mm-hmm. you know I think the closest we get at any point is is when Solomon is king and, and the world sure. is just in awe and so because that plan essentially fails where the world was coming to Israel God takes this minute aspect of Israel and takes it into the center of the world and says, mm. well, if I can't use the nation to witness, I'm going to take those that are faithful within it and put them in this grand epicenter of paganism and secularism. Mm. And they're going to be a witness in there. And so I would look through these first four stories and just be like, wow, look how powerful God is mm. in that he's revealing himself through, you know, these Hebrews and and, and their determination to not succumb to the pressures of, of Babylon. But for me, 
the the way that I look at it now is that everything that's taking place here in, in the initial part of this book, this is essentially God's evangelistic crusade. Mm-hmm. He's running a seminar in Babylon um, whereby he's o- almost solely focused on one, on reaching this one man. Yeah. Like he starts off trying to, to, to teach him about health and lifestyle. And then he introduces him to, to prophecy. And, and then after that takes him into this lesson on what true worship is. Yeah. And God is not just showing off. No. He's not just saying, oh, look, I can stand in fire and not be burned. You know, or I can reveal things that your gods can't reveal. God is actually putting forth maximum effort because, and, I, and I'm sure that the Jews hadn't comprehended this, he desperately wants to convert Nebuchadnezzar. Yeah. The heart of Nebuchadnezzar is precious to God mm. in some way. And there's yeah. each one of these stories shows that God is not just like, hey, we'll try once and hope for the best. Right. He's saying, we're going to keep coming after Nebuchadnezzar's mm. heart. And ultimately, we see that God has saved the most drastic, mm. the most um, important intervention for the very last. Mm. He saves the the thing that is really going to win not just Nebuchadnezzar on the periphery, but Nebuchadnezzar at the core, Mm. win his heart. And that's the thing. The thing that most of us think we like to hear, but deep down we often don't. God is interested in the hearts of even the very worst of men. He wants to save them. And it's not just a passive desire. One may conceive the idea that Daniel and his friends were brought into Babylon so that they may be a witness to the people there. But what if, what if Daniel and his brothers are just God's ace up his sleeve in achieving his number one target, converting the worst man in the world? I guess we'll find out. Don't go anywhere. I'm Dean Cullinane, and you're listening to Why They Did That. A Christian without a Bible is like a soldier without a sword. You can't win a battle like that. So we would like to introduce you to Humble Lamb Bibles. Humble Lamb's goal is to present the Word of God in a way that compels people to read it and thus connect with God more intimately. They make wonderfully crafted premium Bibles filled with cross-references, beautiful annotations, and many more built-in study tools. In addition to their King James Lion Bible, they are now excited to offer the new King James Shepherd Edition in a variety of beautiful colors. And get this, for every Bible they sell, they give another Bible away for free to those who can't afford one. And you can actually get 20% off when you use the code WTDT when you check out at HumbleLamb.com. If you've listened to the second season of Why They Did That, you'll recognize our sponsor for this episode. Types and Symbols, the creators of the Conflict Beautiful series, is happy to introduce a new beautiful set that they call the Life and Light Collection. Types and Symbols set out to create the most beautiful and readable edition of Steps to Christ, Thoughts from the Mount of Blessing, and Christ Object Lessons ever made. 
Each component of these beautifully created books was implemented with specific meaning and purpose. From the holographic foil detail to the cover design. Just as with the Conflict Beautiful series, the Life and Light collection follows the same editorial philosophy to promote an enjoyable reading experience. To stay updated on when this will be released, make sure to follow their Instagram at Types and Symbols. Do it now, quick. I find it incredible. I really do. That God would go to these lengths that he writes off no man, I write people off. I'll be honest with you. I'm tempted to look at people and think, no chance. And that's, that's when I'm reminded, God is still working on me too. Just as he's working on those that look beyond his help. I oftentimes wonder who really needs his help more, them or me? So God has been taking Nebuchadnezzar on this journey, touching different aspects, lifestyle, knowledge, wisdom, worship. But now he brings him to this pinnacle, this important point in his time with Daniel and with God, mm -hmm. where Nebuchadnezzar is going to make a decision, make a choice. And they're really going to get to the heart problem of Nebuchadnezzar. Right. We've been dealing with peripheral issues. We've been dealing with lifestyle. We've been dealing with um, knowledge. We've been dealing with how we worship. But now is the time where it becomes personal for Nebuchadnezzar. Right. Something that affects his heart and the pride of his heart. And this, I believe, is where all, all efforts need to be directed. Yes. You know, because so often when we are interested in, in bringing people to the Lord, what we look for is conformity. What we mm -hmm. look for is um, superficial changes to the exterior um, and maybe even the giving up of, of, of some habits that might be, you know, somewhat destructive. Um, but oftentimes when we have converts, quote unquote, um, in, in the place of, of conviction, there's usually just conformity. Mm. You know, it's just, it's just information, yeah. not actual transformation. And I think what we've seen here is God presenting Nebuchadnezzar these gradual uh, pictures of who he is and saying look you know I can help you in this area I can I can do this for you and we can do this together etc um, but all of that is is a miss you know it's all just it's fruitless labor mm. as any effort to reach a, a soul is if it doesn't actually go to the heart that's exactly right yeah and all of the other issues are exposing Nebuchadnezzar to God. Mm. They're not unimportant. Right. But if you don't hit the goal mm. of heart change, what good is it if he is now living the right lifestyle? Right. What good is it if he's now worshiping or knowing where to get knowledge and wisdom? Right. If it doesn't transform his heart. Mm. And that's the beautiful picture of this story that I think is here. That Nebuchadnezzar is not just changed in his actions. He's changed in his motivations. He's mm -hmm. changed in his heart. And God's willing to go into the deepest, darkest part of Nebuchadnezzar's life in order to change him. He's not just saying, oh, I'm going to clean you up around the edges and make you. He's saying, I'm going to delve into the darkest part of the sin in your life mm -hmm. and deal with it. And so when we're witnessing to people and when we're dealing with people, converts, people that we love, 
the the goal should always be heart change. Mm. And the best person in order to do that is not Daniel. That's right. It's not Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. It is God himself. Still, he puts up a fight against the convictions of the Spirit of God. And eventually the time comes, not a moment too soon, when consequences must be faced. When our sins catch up with us and find us out, we are left alone to our lusts and desires and become the beasts that we always were had it not been for the Lord holding back the four winds of strife in our own lives. And so a year passes. Time to think and contemplate on all that God has done for him. But this one's a stubborn one. He stands atop his palace or probably in a hammock somewhere atop the hanging gardens and seeing all that his own hands have apparently created, his heart is elevated in boastfulness and pride. And so God steps in, in a way that we have never seen before this point, and perhaps never seen since either. God comes to Nebuchadnezzar and deals with him right then. And he, he, goes, he goes crazy. He goes mad. He begins to act like an animal. And he's out in front of wherever Babylon, uh, the, the White House of Babylon. He's running around the front yard like an animal. He's eating the grass. Mm. His hair begins to grow and it gets matted. His nails begin to grow sharp and long. He is literally an animal. He's mm. insane, right? And if we think about this in today's context, um, if the president of the United States all of a sudden happened one day that he's out on the front lawn of the White House eating the grass, his hair's grown long, and he's running around like a wild animal, it would take a matter of hours before the Senate would come step in and say, hey, we need to get somebody else in here yep. who's, VP. who's in charge. Boom. VP, right? Boom. But for some reason, Nebuchadnezzar's kingdom doesn't just disappear. It doesn't go to the next guy up. Mm-hmm. It doesn't go to his son. For seven years, Nebuchadnezzar's in this state running around like a wild animal, yep. naked, out in the wilderness. For seven years, mm. he's existing in this madness, yet his kingdom is still held for him. Right. And you have to ask the question, who is preserving Nebuchadnezzar's kingdom? Right, who stepped up? Who stepped up, right? It doesn't sound like the generals took over. It doesn't mm-hmm. sound like the army took over. Someone is preserving Nebuchadnezzar's kingdom with the hope that one day he eventually will come to his senses mm. and be the king that he once was. I have to imagine that's Daniel. Mm. Over the course of Daniel and Nebuchadnezzar's interaction, I imagine that they became close in some way. They're close enough that Daniel warns him when he interprets the dream that, Nebuchadnezzar, if you don't want this to happen, these are the changes you need to make. Mm. Daniel has some interest in the well-being, at least, of Nebuchadnezzar here in in the Bible. And we see that Nebuchadnezzar's kingdom is kept for him. And I imagine Daniel is part of that team that kept Nebuchadnezzar's kingdom around for him in mm. order that he can retake it once he regains his mind. And the fact that this did take all of seven years, I think really does speak to the patience of God mm. in 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 just waiting. Yeah. You know, like if if we were to with ignorance of this story, time travel back into any moment any moment before Nebuchadnezzar comes to his senses, he would look like a, a lost cause to us. For sure. You know, if we if we show up in chapter one when he's just 
decimating nations, we think, oh goodness, let's leave this guy alone. We'd agree with the Jewish nation. We'd yeah. be like, this guy is crazy. <clears throat> and if we're in chapter two, he's killing families. He said, I'm going to make your home like a dunghill. Mm -hmm. You know, he's, he's unreasonable and impetuous. And again, you think, lost cause mm -hmm. and then he starts to worship Daniel and you think all right he still hasn't got it yeah. in chapter three he's throwing people into the fire at any point you show up you think this man there's no hope yeah and even in these in this fourth chapter within these seven years if again if we just appeared and we're watching we'd think look how far he's gone look how degraded he is he's literally a beast you know and you'd think that there's no hope but God doesn't see it like that. God sees this as, an, as a genuine opportunity for the probably most hated man in the world to have a genuine heart change, a genuine conversion. I don't believe Nebuchadnezzar spent seven years just thinking about grass. Mm. I don't think he spent seven years thinking about like his nails growing long in his hair and thinking wild animal thoughts. Mm. I think Nebuchadnezzar spent seven years in this mental discussion with God mm -hmm. about his pride, about who he is. And I think that is evident in how he emerges mm -hmm. from this existence. He comes out of it and the verses that talk about that are some of the most beautiful mm -hmm. scripture in the entire Bible of someone who has fully changed their heart for the Lord someone who is truly in love with God because of what they have done in their life. And so when Nebuchadnezzar um, talks about this, it's, it's beautiful. Can, should I read it? Yeah, go ahead. All right. That's... And it says in Daniel 4.36, it says, At the same time, my reason returned for me. And for the glory of my kingdom, my honor and brightness returned to me. My counselors and my lords sought unto me. And I was established in my kingdom, and excellent majesty was added unto me. Now I, Nebuchadnezzar, praise and extol mm -hmm. and honor the king of heaven, all whose works are truth and his ways judgment, and those that walk in pride he is able to abate. Wow. He acknowledges the journey that God has taken him on in judging him, in exposing him to truth, but ultimately into taking care of the pride mm -hmm. of his heart, providing him humility yeah and he he gets it yes you know finally we reach the end of a chapter where he's not worshiping the wrong person or no. throwing someone into fire or telling anyone if you don't worship this god i'm going to kill you all he's you can tell that this is a man that has been broken and then remade mm. he's been given this kind of new lease of life and I just find it to be so encouraging that we have historical record of the saving of this man. You know, assuming that he stays in this state and we have no reason to believe that he didn't, mm -hmm. um, given how Daniel speaks about him in the subsequent chapters, this, this is your, your most unlikely candidate for glory. Yet in my heart, I genuinely believe that he'll be there. And not only does he have this great conversion experience, but he becomes one of the authors of scripture. Mm. You know, he wrote this chapter. Mm -hmm. And that just blows my mind that when we say that all inspiration 
sorry, that all, when we say that all scripture is inspired and is inspiration mm. from God to teach in, in, in doctrine and righteousness, we, in, we have to include Nebuchadnezzar in yeah. that. When, when, when we read that the Holy Spirit moved over holy men Amen. as they wrote these words. He's included. Nebuchadnezzar yes. is one that the Holy Spirit used. And when you think of this, this arc mm. from going from one of the most hated individuals ever mm-hmm. to now being included in the Jews' scriptures, if God can do that, what can he not do? 100%. Yeah, and... and- the story that is being exposed in these four chapters is the story of conversion. The story of God's great love for all of humanity, regardless of what you do. Mm-hmm. For the absolute worst of humanity, God's love still exists. Height nor depth mm-hmm. can separate us from that love. And so if Nebuchadnezzar can be loved, if Nebuchadnezzar can be someone that God is seeking after with all of his heart. Anyone else mm. can be that person at the apple of God's eye, the center of God's attention, the one that he is seeking to save with all his energy. The story of Nebuchadnezzar is not just a story of salvation, but it's a story that each and every person in the world, God loves to this extent. Mm. Love is not limited like we think of certain things. There's not a there's not a endpoint to the love of God. There's not a place where God's love will run out. Mm. God's love for the worst of society mm. is unimaginably full. He will love the Nebuchadnezzars in the world forever. Mm. And if if they are not saved, he will cry over them. Isn't it ironic that it seems God is so desperate to save someone that every other living being would have written off? Now, you know what people mean when they say that God moves in mysterious ways. The thing is, we needn't forget that God desperately wants to save us too. Nebuchadnezzar is the story in which you need to run when you feel hopeless, when you think that there's no way God can find a place for you in the kingdom. Friends, God is powerful enough to save you, to save you from your enemies, your temptations, to save you from Satan, and to save you from yourself. I remember when I was in college, when I first arrived uh, at college, um, super excited, right? Super, super happy to be learning more and growing. And when you go to college, the friends you make in college are some of the most important people in your life. Yeah. So I was excited about the people I was going to meet, the friends that I was going to make. But when I first arrived, there was somebody that stood out to me. And the reason he stood out was because he was very loud. So when I first laid eyes on that person, I said, man, there's no way that I could ever be friends with that individual. Mm. Mm. No way that we're going to end up getting close. There's so many other people here. Let's yeah. go meet other friends. But was it like you didn't you didn't want to be? I didn't want to. I was like, this guy's rude. He's arrogant. He's loud. He's all these things that I don't like. Mm. 
And so I, I, I've just said, I wrote him off in my book. I said, I'm not going to be friends with him. And so college has a funny way of bringing people together that you would never expect. And over time we had classes together. We'd sit down at the same lunch table. Mm. We'd be around each other in certain social groups. And over time, what I came to realize was the person that I hated because of things that I saw in his life or Mm -hmm. things that I observed that he did was actually a person that God loved, Mm. just like Nebuchadnezzar. And not only that, it's a person that I could grow to love and should grow to love. I end up becoming friends with this person. We end up becoming very, very close during our time in college. And he was an individual who was able to show me God in different ways than I could have ever imagined. Some of the weaknesses that I saw in him were actually weaknesses that existed in my own life. Right. And they were weaknesses that I needed to work on. And so by observing them in someone else, I was able to say, hey, you know what? I have that same weakness. Mm. I have that same problem in my heart and I need to change it. So I imagine Daniel in his interactions with this King Nebuchadnezzar was even being changed by God himself. Wow. Because he probably was like the rest of Israel who hated this man, the conqueror, the destroyer, the evil man at the head of the Babylonian empire. I'm sure Daniel would have heard about him before and I'm sure Daniel would have hated him. He removed him from his family. Mm -hmm. He took things from the temple. Made him a eunuch. He made him a eunuch, exactly. He took away Daniel's um, ability to have the Messiah, which in the Jewish nation was the absolute most important thing for a man, the ability to have a child. So this man has taken away so many things from Daniel. I'm sure he had a similar view of him. There's no way that I can love this man. But we come to the end of the story and we see Daniel is sticking up for him. Daniel's Mm. warning him. Daniel is potentially preserving his kingdom for him and hoping that he will be restored into his former glory. Daniel comes into a relationship with this man. Mm. And I'm sure that Daniel learned things from Nebuchadnezzar. Mm. This wasn't a one-sided situation. Daniel was faithful, but he learned things from Nebuchadnezzar. And so in this experience that Daniel has, and, and, and in, in the experience of Nebuchadnezzar, I see something in my own life. Mm. How God might be calling us to love the person that is most unlovable in our life. Mm. God might be calling us to love the overwhelmingly hated, overwhelmingly disparaged individual that society casts away. Wow. It's powerful. Mm. The fact that not only is God saying, I love them, but he's calling us to love them as well. Jesus talks about this. He says, you've heard it said, you should love your neighbor and hate your enemy. But I say unto you, you should love your neighbor and your enemy. Mm. And Nebuchadnezzar is the epitome of an enemy to the Jewish nation. He is the absolute public enemy, number one. And Daniel is a faithful man of God who follows in the words of what Jesus says in in loving Mm. the enemy. And at the end of that verse in Matthew 5, it says, be perfect as your father in heaven is perfect. Mm. And people get caught up on that verse all the time. But I think that's what it's talking about. Right. The love of God is so perfect for humanity that Mm. he loves us regardless. And that's what he calls us to do in our love. 
be perfect in your love. Mm-hmm. Be perfect in your love for the most difficult person in your life, for the Nebuchadnezzar in your life, mm. for the person that there's no way you could love them because they think differently than you. They look differently than you. They smell differently than you. Mm-hmm. Love that individual. This would change everything. It does. And this is the message Jesus is coming to share. Mm. This is the message that Daniel's foretelling in his prophet, prophecy, that Jesus is coming to help us to love our enemies. Mm. And so not only is the, the story of Nebuchadnezzar and Daniel a story of just a historical account, it's a story of what God is coming to reveal to humanity, reveal to the Jewish nation, that they should have been doing this all along. They should have been loving their enemies so much that they have radically transformed the world. But it's not just on the Israelites. It's on us today. Like Christians are the extension of that call, the mm. extension of that covenant, yeah. that we are to be the love of God in the world made manifest to both our neighbors and our enemies. Wow. That incorporates everyone. Love everyone. It's simple as that, but it's also as difficult as that. Mm. To love our enemies is hard. And I imagine Daniel went through that experience. Loving Nebuchadnezzar couldn't have been easy. The brother's trying to kill people, right? He's trying to turn people's houses into dung pile. He almost tries to kill Daniel and yeah. his friends at least twice that we know of. It's not an easy thing, but it's a necessary thing. And it's what God's calling us to, to be perfect as he is imperfect in his love. Daniel was faithful to God mm-hmm. in what he was doing, but by hating Nebuchadnezzar, Daniel would have neutered the effect of his faithfulness. Mm-hmm. For faithfulness to have its full effect in the life, it has to be accompanied with love. And so Daniel has to lay down the hatred that his nation has for the king of Babylon in order to be fully effective in his faithfulness. And we need to lay down the hatred in our hearts for anybody in our lives in order to be truly effective in faithfulness. I think I, I don't think we can be faithful if we hate. Mm. That's right. And and I hate. You hate. There's circumstances in our life that lead us to hate. But I truly believe God is inspiring this story, inspiring Jesus' words, saying that we need to love above all else, because that's who he is. A loving God who loves even to the Nebuchadnezzars, loves even to the Hitlers, loves even to the worst of society. He loves them. And he calls us to do the same. that hath an ear, let him hear. And you've just heard our latest show. If you'd like to hear more or hearken back to a previous episode, you can find us at whythedidthat.org. We would love it if you could subscribe at Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or wherever you get your podcasts. And if you could go as far as leaving a review, that would be amazing. You can follow us on your favorite social media accounts, Facebook or Instagram at why they did that. And of course, YouTube, where you can actually watch this episode now as well as listen to it. So make sure to check that out too. Finally, if you would like to support this podcast and keep it running, please consider becoming a Patreon at www.patreon.com forward slash WTDT. This show was produced by the supremely talented Paul Keefe and the video editing by Jonathan J.J. Jensen. 
and a special thank you to everyone else on the Why They Did That team. Once again, I'm Dean Cullinane, and you're listening to Why They Did That.